Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday school hour. Uh, we're moving into the month of October now, believe it or not. And this is for October 2nd, 2022. And we're continuing in our study in the life of Daniel, not looking at everything in the book, but just trying to concentrate on these events and uh, characteristics of Daniel's life so that we can learn and grow by them. And you'll remember that uh, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he actually told them that all of the things in the Old Testament were written down and recorded in the Scripture for our admonition. And admonition, as you know, means for our warning that we would not be like them. And uh, at the same time, we can also look back at some of these heroes and we can look at their life and we can emulate them and we can see the grace of God and the power of God in their life. And Daniel is one of those people that, boy, he deserves to be a hero, not just because of the lion's den situation, but going all the way back to the very beginning. I mean, we've mentioned this before, but, but please take it to heart. Put yourself in his shoes and how you would feel if Nebuchadnezzar comes and invades your country and then he destroys your temple, carries out the treasures of the temple. Some of them, um, I think it's in 2 Kings, it says that Nebuchadnezzar cut them up, things that Solomon had made all of those many years before. And uh, it, it'd be like going in and destroying priceless artifacts in a museum, much less things that have been dedicated to the true and the living God. And uh, all of that happens. And Daniel is taken into exile. Now he's living in a foreign land, in a foreign palace, under a foreign government, learning a foreign culture and all of those type of things. Um, the fact that he would remain faithful through all of that is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, when you think about how we might react to it. And uh, so he's an example to us and we want to follow that example. And so we're in the section today of Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And the question in the title is, why was a man like Daniel so hated? Because I'm going to go so far as to say Daniel was probably one of the nicest people you would ever meet, one of the most helpful people you would ever meet. I mean, there's only... A, uh, uh, so much of an explanation as to why Daniel would, as an exile, as a foreigner, with all of the racism and everything that would go on in those days, why he would zoom to the top under several kings in the Babylonian Empire, at least two, three, if you get technical. And then once Babylon falls, we come to chapter 6 and we find that Daniel even has favor under a Persian king. Why, why is that? Well, obviously, the easy answer is because that's what God wanted. But we also notice that there are certain characteristics of people who are like this that God uses. And God certainly put it in Daniel's heart. And Daniel apparently had an ability to relate to people, to empathize with people, to work with people. And um, we could go on and on and on. And uh, we want to look at these type of things because that type of person doesn't usually end up being hated until you stop and think Jesus 
was absolutely like that, and he did everything perfectly. Even his anger was always under control, and it was always for a reason and a purpose, and that was for the glory of God. And so um, most of the time when you find Jesus, he was kind, he was polite, he showed love, he was compassionate, he was merciful, and the common people that nobody else really liked they loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. And it was even said that he was a friend of sinners who were used to being outcast and put aside and maligned, all of that type of thing. So um, Daniel was a lot like Jesus, I think it's fair to say, in here. Now, one of the things we do need to start off with in the introduction is the people of God are always persecuted. Now, somewhere... And in some way, they're going to be persecuted. Now, that doesn't mean, I don't think, 100% of the time and uh, to the max, anyway. Um, I think sometimes persecution comes maybe in, in our lives. That person just doesn't want to be our friend anymore. They just don't want to hang out with us anymore. They don't want to work with us anymore. They don't want to you know, be as helpful and work on projects like they once did or serve on committees or boards in the community like they once did. And maybe you find out that you're being just a little bit shunned or overlooked. That would be a form of persecution. And then it would go from there to, you know, outright hatred and on into uh, some of the more extreme things that we see. So it's always going to happen. But what we would normally identify as persecution probably doesn't happen 100% of the time. I'm not even sure it happened 100% of the time in Daniel's life. There's a big gap between chapter 6 and chapter 5. When we meet Daniel, he is uh, very young, probably, oh, a teenager, 17 or so. By the time we get to chapter 6, Daniel is probably in his uh, early 80s. Some think somewhere around the age of 82. And uh, why would God do that? To show us that this man of God, this prophet, was a faithful man when he was a teenager, when most of us wouldn't expect it. And then we find that when he is in his 80s, same thing. He's still being faithful. He was just one of the most consistent men in the entire Word of God. And when you consider other verses of Scripture, like Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you. Well, it doesn't feel like a blessing. It's not a blessing I ask for. And yet the Lord said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So you'll notice even what Jesus said there. They uh, began to hate you. That's something that may or may not be expressed. And I'm convinced there's a lot of hatred that never makes its way out. It just seethes in the heart and it's kind of kept under wraps. And then notice that it moves on to when they exclude you. Now, when they exclude you, that can be, like I mentioned, from just social events, parties, neighborhood gatherings or whatever, um, when Jesus says that, it could actually mean from the synagogue. And for Jewish life in the New Testament to be excluded, uh, exiled from the synagogue 
would basically end your life, your reputation, your relationships, and all of that. And then it goes from there from being excluded to being reviled. People start talking about that. And then they actually come to the point they spurn your name as evil. You are, I mean, your name is like a Lee Harvey Oswald or a John Wilkes Booth or a Timothy McVeigh or Osama bin Laden or something like that. And, uh, but notice he qualifies it on account of the son of man, because you can get all of that by being a jerk, committing crimes against society. But this is qualified on account of the son of man. John 15, 18, Jesus said again, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So we're in good company if it is indeed because of Christ and identified with Christ. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 3:12, instructing the young pastor, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So both Old Testament and New Testament, we just don't fit in with this world. The enemy works through them and it ends up where the demons of hell can't get to Jesus anymore. So they come after those who look and act the most like him. And so uh, it's a dangerous thing to be sold out to Christ. And yet you should be. That's the only way you're going to be happy. Now, why would they want to destroy Daniel when you think about it, how many times had he saved lives, lives of government officials, lives of the wise men, people like that by interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dreams? Uh, why would they want to do that? He had worked faithfully. He had glorified God. Even the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar says Daniel's God is the true God and that type of thing. Um, we find here that uh, we're told that it pleased Darius, this new Persian king, the ruler of the new empire, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. I'm in verse one, by the way, of chapter six, to be over the whole kingdom. So 120, a satrap is a government official, someone who uh, just oversees maybe a smaller group of people, and to be over the whole kingdom, so they're spread out far and wide. And verse 2, and over these 120 satraps, three governors, just three governors to watch over them, they would report back to them, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. King didn't want to be uh, having to hear all those reports and audit everything and check out everything and make sure it all balanced. So he put those people out there and then three over them, all people of whom he trusted so that he could go about and do his uh, king things, right? And it says in verse three, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king would suffer no loss. A spirit of excellence was in him. And so uh, it goes on to say that the king, because of this, gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Oh, you're starting to get the picture now? Maybe a little jealousy? 
maybe a little, who does this guy think he is? He's not even one of us, not even a Persian, not even, I mean, he's not even a Babylonian of the ones that we conquered. He's a Jew. I mean, what, what is going up with this? So what did they do? Verse four, so the governors and satraps, it's conspiratorial, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. He didn't even, I mean, he just didn't mess up. Verse 5 says, Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him. Here it is. Here it is. Wait for it. Concerning the law of his God. Boom. Now we have it. And so what they are looking at him as, and saying is, we've got to find some dirt on him. We've got to find some way to destroy him. It sounds a lot like... Uh, modern politics of personal destruction. If we don't like you, it's not enough just to oppose what you think. It's not enough just to disagree. We have to destroy you. And that's kind of the way things have gone. But maybe they learned it from uh, the ancient Persians because that's the way that they worked. So why did they hate him? Uh, let's answer that question. Number one, that uh, he was noticed and he found favor. Why would that make you hate somebody? Because you're not being noticed and you're not finding favor. How do you think these other people felt? I mean, do you think maybe they had the idea that Daniel is the reason he is attracting so much attention, so much good attention. He is so perfect and exacting and diligent in everything that he does that we don't look good compared to him. And maybe they kind of had the thought that uh, there used to be a, I think it was a Clorox commercial where they would put a white sock on the screen and it looked real good until they put the Clorox white uh, sock on the screen. And then that original white sock looked, well, dingy comparatively. Um, maybe it was that these governors and satraps would look just pretty good in the eyes of a king until they compared him to Daniel and nobody could match up to Daniel. Maybe it was that kind of thing that happened, especially at first. This guy is just so clean. We can't find anything on him. He's got the favor of the king. And if it weren't for Daniel, I'd have a better position. If it weren't for Daniel, I would uh, be making more money. I would have more um, stature and prominence or something like that. I mean, it sure does sound like it to me. And so it pleased Darius, pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. So he liked them. He was happy with that form of government and to set over the whole kingdom and over these three governors, and he was pleased by that. He didn't find any fault with them. And so Darius wasn't looking and saying, well, I really like Daniel, but the rest of them are just scum and we'll just put up with them. No, he was pleased with all of them, but Daniel was kind of head and shoulders above the other. And this just drove them nuts. Now, this uh, reminds me of another situation where there was a young teenage boy that was sold into slavery 
by his own brothers, his own family, carried off by force by the Midianites into Egypt, and there he becomes a piece of property. No longer the father's favorite son, no longer the one who is the oldest child of Rachel and is going to inherit everything that his father has, wearing the coat of many colors. Now he's just a piece of property in Potiphar's house. But you know, it doesn't take us long back in that story in the book of Genesis, and it's reminiscent of Daniel. And uh, we find that Joseph even then becomes the head over Potiphar's household. And then later on, when he's cast into jail unjustly, accused of attempted rape, what happens? Before long, he becomes the chief of all of the prisoners. And then from there, he becomes the second in command over the Egyptian empire uh, under Pharaoh. I mean, this is interesting that these foreigners come in, which is why I pray, uh, as I've told you before, regularly for God to put Daniels and Josephs in our own government at every level. Now, one of the things that had to have been under their skin is that it was normal whenever a new king came, whether it was by force or even uh, uh, becoming uh, inheriting the kingdom, like King Charles III in England has inherited, to uh, have your own people, have your own staff, and to get rid of the others so that there wouldn't be a rival. And uh, yet Daniel was able to ride that all out, and even then he comes to the top, and so they just don't really care for it. So think about it, how unusual this would be. This Jewish kid from Jerusalem, he was so much of an asset to these kings, to the government, to the well-running of things, and had a spirit of excellence so that he holds a high position in not one, but two rival kingdoms, Babylonia and Persia, and those empires, as well as different administrations under the uh, Babylonian empire. So he was noticed and found favor. That's enough to get you hated in certain situations. Now, number two, he lived up to his God-given potential. And in verse 3, it says that Daniel, even as, as good as he was, he distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, an excellent spirit. Now, I don't think that is necessarily saying that the Holy Spirit was in him, and that meant that uh, an excellent spirit was in him because it was the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit is an excellent spirit. But, well, you'll notice the uh, word spirit there does not have a capital S. This is talking about like the spirit of a person, the demeanor of a person, somebody, uh, their attitude, their personality, that type of thing. Now, did God give that to him? He most certainly did. But what they recognized that Daniel was this kind of person that everything he did, he did well. Everything he did, he did right. It was never haphazard. It was never half-baked. It was never half-done. He uh, was on time with his projects. And they were not only on time, but they were done well. And everybody noticed that. He managed people well, apparently. He was good with... Uh, figures and accounting and that type of thing, because that was part of the job that he saw. And he distinguished himself because that was 
in him, and that's what caused him to stand out. And everything he did was with maximum effort. G. Campbell Morgan, a British uh, pastor and theologian of probably about a hundred or so years ago, he said, excellent is something that goes beyond, it predominates, and it could be written as, quote, a spirit that excels. So Daniel has this personality where he excels in everything that he does. Now, that tells you a little bit about why he was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was a smart guy. He was a capable guy. This is somebody that could do the job and do it well, and Nebuchadnezzar recognized that, and apparently Daniel had been in training for that even before the uh, fall of the um, Israeli government. And so this wasn't simply fleshly excellence. It was coming, of course, from his spirit. God was doing this for a purpose. And so he finds favor in the eyes of this new king that should have killed him. Number three, he was hated because he was diligent and gaining influence. And these things kind of overlap. But if you had an employee like this, you would notice if you were this kind of a person, you probably would be noticed. It says in verses, uh, the last part of 3, 3b and 4, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. I mean, he's going to become, you know, big dog daddy. Now that'll get you hated. That'll get you hated when it's all said and done. Why him and not me? I've been working for this king longer than he has. He's one of these guys that got conquered. What, what, what's in him? What, what is he doing that I'm not doing? And it made them mad. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge, right? And uh, finding it against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. I mean, it's just like, Daniel, can you do this? Yeah, I sure can. And then when he did it, they looked at it and they go, oh, surely there's no way he would know that. And then there it was, it was done and it was done with excellence. And, uh, you know, that may be, uh, think about uh, the idea that maybe the Persians were a little surprised by all of this. After all, all he is is just a Jew that used to be a slave that was taken captive from Jerusalem of all places. Does anything good come out of there? And then he was conquered. He and his government were conquered uh, as Babylonians. And so, you know, now he's with the Persian Empire. Don't you kind of get the idea that the Persians probably thought they were first tier, top of the heap type people? And so uh, when they are working with Daniel, well, he seems good enough, capable enough for a Babylonian empire or something like that. But could he really withstand the rigors and the demand for excellence like a great empire like the Persians? And so they would give him tasks. Surely he can't do that. And can't you see some of those people as they say, ask the Jew if he can do that. And so uh, they kind of snicker a little bit, thinking this will be his downfall. This will be what is going to show him up as being inferior 
and yet he always did it. And when he did it, he did it without excellence and there wasn't any fault in it. It was always correct. It was always right. Maybe they gave him riddles. Maybe they gave him situations. What would you do if you were a governor? If the king gave you authority, what would you do if person A and person B did this, how would you judge that? What would you do if something happened between this nation and this nation? And lo and behold, he always seems to have the right answer, maybe even coming up with things as he did in the previous kingdom that nobody else had ever thought of. God gave him a brilliant mind, tremendous influence. Apparently, for the most part, he was very likable and well thought of, at least by those who were in authority, and maybe simply because he did them a good job, made them a lot of money, and served them well. So they can't find it, and uh, so what are they going to do? Now, let's just be clear about this. Why are they looking for dirt on him? I think probably because that's a reflection of what was in them. I mean, I mean, everybody in government's got something wrong with them, right? They've all got something to hide. They've all got some skeleton in their closet. They've all got some dirt swept under the rug. You know, there's corruption everywhere. And maybe they made the mistake of assuming that Daniel would be like them and all we've got to do is find it. I think this was an exposure of themselves more than it said anything about Daniel. They hated him. They hated his success and they saw his success as their failure. I could succeed if he weren't in the way. So get rid of him. Then I can succeed. I can take his place. So they're acting out of envy and they couldn't outwork him. They couldn't outperform him. They couldn't outdo him. They couldn't make themselves excel. And so they wanted to disqualify him. And they hated him, number four, because he glorified the Lord through faithfulness and obedience. You see, Daniel did what we always try to do and know that we ought to do, but sometimes don't. And that is simply this. When you go to work on Monday morning, don't go to work for your boss, go to work for Jesus. Jesus is your boss. Jesus is your Lord. And that means when the boss isn't looking, you still be diligent because your boss, Jesus, is looking. See what I mean? And so Daniel worked like that and he worked heartily uh, as unto the Lord, to quote the Apostle Paul. Verse 5 said, Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, that's not to say they were kind of thinking maybe he's breaking his God's law somewhere because Darius wouldn't give a rip about that because Darius didn't care. He wasn't a follower of the Lord like Nebuchadnezzar was. What they mean by that is maybe his religion can be used as leverage against him to get him out of this position. And of course, that's exactly what they did. They did. So they couldn't find anything ethically or morally wrong about him. And uh, they knew that if the tables were turned, if Daniel were launching an investigation against them, then uh, they would be in trouble. So certainly Daniel's got to be like us. And especially with that weird religion, he eats weird things. He practices weird things. He doesn't worship our gods and all of that. So maybe we can use all of that against him 
somehow. And so the leverage is going to be his walk with God. And it's reminiscent, and we'll uh, refer to this passage several times, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, that's very important, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely are saved, well, what shall become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You get it? And that's what Daniel was when he was suffering. They couldn't find anything on him except his walk with God. And that's reason enough to hate him. So in conclusion, number one, don't be surprised if you have enemies in a war. I mean, that's what a war is. People fight against their enemy. There's no war without an enemy. You're in a warfare, the Bible says. You're in a war. You're going to have some enemies. Just remember who they are, Ephesians chapter 6. And then number two, persevere and keep your eyes on the Lord. And that's what you've got to do. You can't gaze at the enemy and think about them. You've got to keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith while you run this race, while you exercise uh, yourself in this war. And number three, if Daniel could be faithful, what's your excuse? I mean, he had everything going against him from the time he was a teenager. And there he is living in a foreign land, speaking a foreign language and a foreign culture, serving foreign kings. And he should have hated all of them. And he should have been an assassin. He should have been a saboteur or whatever. And yet he served faithfully in all of that. God used him all of his life in those foreign countries. In fact, when my brother was in Iraq, he sent me a picture because uh, that's where Babylon was located, by the way. There was a picture of a sign he sent me that pointed with an arrow to Daniel's tomb. Don't know if it really is or not, but it would fit because he was there uh, so many centuries before. And uh, he was faithful all the way to the very end. And he didn't have all of the scriptures that we have. He had some, but not all. He didn't have all of the Christian history and biographies to read, people to talk to and all of that, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and maybe later, um, to some degree, Nebuchadnezzar, but he was more discipling Nebuchadnezzar than he was anything else. Um, there he was, even not permanently indwelt with the Spirit of God like we are. I mean, we've got so many more advantages and our nation is not nearly as hostile toward us as they were toward Daniel. So what's your excuse? 
What's my excuse? We look at this and Daniel should encourage us. Wayne Barber says, Daniel only spent one night with the lions and the rest of his time with pagan kings and pagan rulers. I bet if he was here now, he would say it was safer with the lions. Put an LOL after that, right? But you know, Daniel had what it took. He had a determined mindset. He had a determined love for the Lord. And he promised in his heart and determined in his heart that he would not disobey him. And I think that's what it is going to take for you and for me in our culture. Let's quit whining. Let's realize God has put us here like Daniel's and God has empowered us and God has even given us the biography of Daniel to encourage us. Now let's determine in our heart like Daniel did, Daniel 1, 9, I think it is, that he would not defile himself and that seemed to be his overarching principle. What would it be like if the people of God today had the determination of Daniel? Well, by the grace of God, may it be true because our country certainly needs it. Thank you for your time and may the Lord bless you. We'll look forward to seeing you again this week and uh, I hope that as temperatures cool down and uh, things happen in fall like they do, I certainly pray we get some rain, don't you? But I pray you enjoy it. Pray that you're refreshed and uh, as we move on into the holiday seasons that we'll be rejoicing and be thankful because of what God has done for us and because of who he is. So I appreciate and love you. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.